Good morning, Providence Church. It's good to be with you. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Gabe, and I have the honor of uh, opening the Bible with you today. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, would you turn uh, to Isaiah chapter 9 in the Pew Bibles? It's page 331. It's right in the middle if you're unfamiliar with your Bible. Um, if you cut it in half, you'll be sure to land right in Isaiah somewhere. Um, but that said, and while you're turning there, um, this past Friday, we celebrated the winter solstice for 2018, which is the shortest day of the entire year. And as the days have grown shorter, maybe you found yourself in some darkness, right? You wake up and it's dark and you go to bed and the sun is set for already like four hours or something like that. It's just dark everywhere. Two of your three meals are eaten in darkness, I know uh, last winter this time, my wife was working in Lincoln and she would wake up before the sun and get to work before the sun had risen and she would come home uh, while the sun was setting and she'd get home and it was in total darkness, right? And maybe you have a similar experience at work before the sun and home when the sun has already set. And maybe, um, maybe even you might find that as a metaphorical representation for your life, right? Like you go to work and it's dark, your boss undervalues you, your coworkers are unkind to you, and then you come home and it's equally as dark. Your marriage is on the rocks, you don't know where your kids will be, your housemates haven't done the dishes, right? Your world is dark. And maybe even uh, the thought of going home this Christmas brings anxiety up in your heart, right? Like you, you don't want to go home and see your parents or your extended family. And maybe you don't even have a home to go home to this Christmas. And all this talk of food and family um, is actually kind of upsetting. You, you wish for a piece of that, but you have none. You feel as though you're walking in darkness in which you can't see a way forward. Where will my family be this time next year? Where will my marriage be this time next year? Do I even want this job for another year? Will I be fired before I even get there, right? These are the questions we're asking. Wherever you are at, I'm sure you feel the weight of a dark world. Yet it is here amidst the darkness that the prophet Isaiah has a powerful word for us. And his word is this, God will exterminate the darkness in our world and increase our joy. In my personal life, as I've studied this passage, my circumstances have yet to change. I'm still trying to figure out what I'm doing with my life, still wrestling with my darkness. But I have found great joy in God's promise from Isaiah 9, and I'm excited to share that joy with you today. So today, let's look at two things, the increase of our joy, how God increases our joy, and what is the cause of that joy. Two points, the increase of joy and the cause of joy. So point one, the increase of joy. Verse two of Isaiah is of great comfort to us, but to fully understand the meaning of this, we have to understand the circumstances of God's people then. At this time in church history, God's people have neglected to follow God. And Isaiah has prophesied that the Assyrian army would come and conquer them. And this would be a thick darkness, as chapter 8, verse 22 says just before. Beyond that, their issues weren't just that they were living in darkness, but um, in fact that darkness lived inside of them. They had no hope. Yet it is right after this thick darkness that Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 comes in. Would you read it with me? Isaiah 9, 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. 
God is promising his people who once walked in darkness that a light would shine on them. That they would once again feel the rays of summer's light. I'm sure you can relate right now, right? Then in verse 3, God goes beyond that. He says, I will multiply your nation. Their nation at this point had dwindled down to just a faithful few. And here God is promising to multiply their nation. Read with me verse 3, right? You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. Beyond just multiplying the nation, he promises to increase the joy of this people that is in darkness. And then at the end of verse 3, he says, And they will rejoice before you as joy with the harvest. He says this will feel like joy at the harvest. And for those of you who grew up in a city like me, I'm sure um, you can't relate to this agricultural metaphor, right? Like that's not where I come from. The closest thing to agriculture in my life is the plants my wife keeps at home and the lawn that I forget to mow. And even then, my lawn is mostly dead, right? So... We probably can't relate to this, but let me summarize it for us in a few urban metaphors, right? For those of you who grew up in the city like me, imagine a holiday work party where there is unlimited food and everyone gets along and there are no awkward moments, right? Like, wouldn't that be great? That's joy at the harvest. Or if you're a college student, this is like your mom sending a $500 gift card to Baker's and then you go and stock up on ramen and LaCroix and throw a party for the whole dorm. That is joy at the harvest, right? This is like all of your student debt, not only being paid for, but being credited to your bank account, right? We got millionaires overnight, right? A complete and total shift from being burdened by something to being liberated. More seriously, this is freedom for God's people, freedom for an oppressed people who absolutely deserved their oppression, That is the joy God is increasing in his people who are small and conquered and in deep darkness. God promises the multiplication of their nation like joy at the harvest. Their deepest longings not only met, but surpassed. Not because of anything they have done, but because God has done it for them. Because of God's shining light in the darkness. And likewise, he promises that to us. Our deepest desires not only met, but surpassed. This is the joy God wants to increase in us. In our darkness, God promises a light, an increase of joy. A joy, a joy so great that you will rejoice. You'll wear it on your face. And I know that's hard for us because we can't even uh, clap our hands together at the same time. It's just hard for Midwestern Christians to do that. But he promises that we will rejoice because this joy is so, or this joy is so great. And so today, you might find yourself in darkness, asking some of those questions we mentioned previously. Imagine what joy might look like in your circumstance. Imagine a joy amidst a fracturing marriage. Imagine joy while your life is starting to unravel. Imagine joy amidst a dysfunctional workplace. Imagine joy while you are plagued by depression. Imagine joy amidst your family pulling itself apart. Imagine overwhelming joy that breaks through even while you are overwhelmed and broken by the darkness of your world. That is the joy God is bringing towards us. God is promising joy amidst those circumstances. He's promising to eradicate the darkness of our world. And he's promising freedom for an oppressed people. 
And if you're like me, you're asking the question, how does he do this, right? Since we've seen what this joy will look like, let us look at the cause of this joy. We've seen the increase of the joy. Let's turn to point to the cause of joy. At the start of verse 4, we see a language shift. God is now explaining why this will happen and why he will do this for his people. In verse 4, he promises to lift their burdens and dethrone their oppressors, right? He says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. But he goes even further in verse 5. He says, For every boot and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for fire. God is promising, promising to end human controversy which leads to war. So much so that even the garments of war will be destroyed. Even the clothes that they wear will be repurposed and burnt up. You won't need them anymore. But ultimately in verse 6 we see the underlying reason for all of this. The true reason darkness, war, and oppression will cease. Would you read it with me? Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. The true reason all oppression will cease is because of a child. If you're a parent in the room, you kind of realize the irony of that, right? Peace from a child? No way. Chaos, maybe, but who knows? But that's, that's God's plan. It's, it's ludicrous, but that's exactly how God has planned it. It's, it's unreasonable, but that's what he said he will do. But this baby's character will be like no other. The character of this baby will be divine and powerful. Isaiah describes his characteristics at the end of verse 6. He says, And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. He will be a wonderful counselor. This baby will have supernatural counseling skills. In our world today, the need for counselors is on the rise. It's estimated that the field of mental health will increase by 29% by 2022, which is understandable. But the stark reality is not that more people have mental health issues. It's just that more people have access to mental health uh, practitioners. You see, the problem has always been there, but now more people have access to the resources to deal with those issues. But even with our access to counsel, it's not enough. Because there are no perfect humans, there is no perfect counsel apart from the wonderful counselor. At best, human counsel will deal with the issues of our mind, which we can thank God for. That is a God-glorifying and God-given field of work. I'm not trying to diminish that at all, but we must set realistic expectations. Human counsel cannot fix the issues of our heart, our desires, or our deepest longings. Human counsel cannot fix the issues of our heart, our desires, or our deepest longings. And so what hope is there? In this darkness, God provides a wonderful counselor who will deal not only with the issues of our mind, but the issues of our heart. He will be mighty God. This baby will be mighty God. Can you think of the implications here? The God who created everything, stepping down into humanity, stepping down into darkness, 
Not as a big, powerful person like Elon Musk. Not as a wealthy person like Warren Buffett. Not even as a funny, charismatic person like Jimmy Fallon, right? But as the exact opposite, as a baby. A vulnerable, exposed little baby. But it is this consent to vulnerability, even while he is all-powerful, that would lead him to the cross so that he might show his mighty sacrificial love on the cross. He plans to illuminate or exterminate darkness in the world, not by force, but through mighty sacrificial love. The mighty God becoming vulnerable and laying down his life for his people, for you and for me. That is who this child will be. He will be an everlasting father. Maybe there's an empty seat at your Christmas table this year. Or maybe there always has. Maybe you never knew your father. Maybe he died or left at an early age. In any case, you've been left without a caring father. No one to teach you. No one to lead you. No one to help you grow. In this child, we will receive an eternal and everlasting father. He will never leave us. He will care for us and console us. He will lead us and grow us in his ways. The fathers of earth are only a shadow of our true everlasting father in Christ. He will be an everlasting father. And lastly, he will be the prince of peace. This baby will come and bring peace on the world. In the New York Times, it said that over the last 3,400 years, there have only been 250 of those years which the world has been at peace. And by peace, they mean less than 1,000 people have died in warfare. That's an 8% ROI, right? Like that's 8% of human history is, has been peaceful. And if you're in school, you know that that percentage is well below failing. At that point, your teachers are probably asking if it's better you get a job at Whole Foods than finish your bachelor's degree, right? Yet here we see this child will be the prince of peace, bringing peace to the entirety of humanity. Imagine that, world peace. This is the stuff Miss America's dreams are made of. Yet this is not empty wishes. This is the word of God. Verse 7 says this very explicitly. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And the last time I checked, everything had a shelf life. Everything breaks down at some point. But of this peace and of this peace child, there will be no end. It will not diminish. It will actually only increase. What's more peaceful than peace, right? More peace. That's, that's it, right? It will increase for eternity. And this child is the reason of our increased joy. But who is he, right? Maybe we're asking that question today. Who is he? In the New Testament, we find that this, this baby, this child is named Jesus. And Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. He's the one who will eradicate darkness from our world as our counselor, God, father, and prince of peace. John 1, 4 and 5 says, In him was life, and life was the, in his life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light of Christ has come to humanity. It shines, and no darkness can overcome it. No circumstance can diminish it. No chaos can extinguish it. 
No darkness can overcome it. No circumstance can diminish it. No chaos can extinguish it. It is as sure as the sun. In the same chapter, John goes on to say in verse 12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Today, you can believe in the light and hope of all humanity. You can believe in the peace child. You can believe in Jesus Christ. Or you can continue on with an 8% failure rate, continue on walking in darkness, looking for counsel in all the wrong places, believing in leaders who will let you down because they are not divine, no matter how much they think they are or wish they were. Or maybe today your story is a little different. Maybe you do believe in the peace child. But if you're honest, your life is counterintuitive to your beliefs. You believe in the wonderful counselor, but you hardly take time to listen to the issues of a friend. You believe in mighty sacrificial love, but fail to put others first. You believe in the everlasting father, but fail to care for the fatherless. You believe in the prince of peace, but if I asked your spouse, the word peace is the last word they would use to describe you. Christian, I know this because I've been there. I know this because I am there sometimes. But, but we have to remember we cannot only experience peace. Peace must be extended through us. This is God's work in us. This is his plan for us. He's got a plan to save us, but he's also got a plan to make us, right? He's got a plan to save us from darkness, but he also has a plan to make us into his image, to make us into vessels of light. And I know this is a sermon for another day, but I I just had to say that, right? He's got a plan to save us and a plan to make us. And so these attributes we see in the king should be reflected in his people, And why is that? It's because for unto us a child is born. And he is the light of men. He shines in the darkness and he cannot be overcome. His peace is extended to all and his peace is extended through us. Today, wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever your darkness, the call is the same. The call is sure. Believe in the Son. He will extinguish the darkness of our world and the darkness in our own hearts. He will increase our joy. So in closing, let me ask you, um, let me ask you something. This Christmas, would we find increased joy in the peace child, in Jesus himself? Would his rule and reign fill our hearts with joy? Would we find ourselves bathed in light like a summer's day? God promises to increase the joy of humankind through the gift of his son. All that is wrong in the world and all that is wrong in us will be put right because God has provided a son who is a mighty, wonderful, everlasting, peace-bringing king and his name is Jesus. Can I pray for us? Father, thank you for your word. Lord, um, would you make us into uh, to people that reflect the image of your son? God, and uh, for those who are maybe here for the first time and don't know Jesus, Lord, would you, would you lead them in the way of light, Lord? Would you let your light shine on them? Would they find true and everlasting peace in you? In your holy name, amen.